Hello and welcome to the Keep It Local Maine podcast, where we tell the stories of local business owners and Maine residents and learn more about what they do, who and what inspires them, their challenges, successes, and more. My name is Todd Regalinski. And I am Kimberly Regalinski. And we are the publishers of Keep It Local Maine, a local magazine that helps showcase local businesses to the people in and around their communities. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast that you can subscribe to on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can learn more about us at keepitlocalmaine.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through the links in the show notes. And now a quick word from our sponsor. You are a main business, a main business. That means you're the backbone of our community and a force for good in Maine. At Gorham Savings Bank, we think you deserve a bank that sees your business as more than a balance sheet. Every Maine business deserves that kind of bank. Call, click, or come by to learn how we can help your business thrive. You're a Maine business. We're a Maine bank. Let's get to work. Gorham Savings Bank. Banking is believing. Member FDIC. In this episode, we'll be talking with singer and songwriter Lori Jones. Lori is an American singer-songwriter that had been dubbed the missing link between Dusty Springfield and Tom Petty. She's been referred to as Chrissy Hind with a folk guitar, and compared to Lucinda Williams and Sheryl Crow for her Americana and folk rock influences. These comparisons she happily and humbly accepts. Influenced by a multitude of styles from Tom Petty, Suzanne Vega, and Fleetwood Mac, Jones combines the craft of songwriting with her own unique sounds that range from rock to gospel. Whether playing her songs acoustic solo or backed by her rock-solid band, Jones delivers the lyrical sass and musical punch she has built her reputation on. Welcome to the show, Lori. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled. This is great. So congratulations on the release of the new album, Dark Horse. So tell us, what was the inspiration for this project? Oh, the inspiration. So that's a really good question right out of the gate. Gosh, there's so, so many things really are the inspiration. I mean, if I was just kind of, you know, going to talk to you in a stream of consciousness, I would probably say, you know, life just stopping mm-hmm. in 2020, mm-hmm. you know, everything had having to get really, really slow. Mm-hmm. Um, in all honesty, I had a really, really bad case of insomnia, oh. um, probably like a lot of people, Uh, Mm -hmm. during that time. And so I found myself, you know, getting up super, super early, you know, in the wee hours of the morning and then deciding to write. And Mm. so, I mean, really, I think the short story is uh, the inspiration came from stopping and just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, taking all of our busyness and slowing down and like hearing a calling to write music and, you know, sort of ignited the passion to want to, to write and then, you know, and then so on. That's great. Now, are you normally kind of a night rider, uh, writer, not night rider? That's night a writer. TV show. <laughs> Jeez. First time I talk on the show and I'm already going downhill. Uh, are you more are you more of a, a night writer or, or creative person or are you more like first thing in the morning, you have to get your creativity out mm. then when everything is kind of clear? I've always been uh, a first thing in the morning. So if I need Mm -hmm. to write something, the morning is my best time. And so Mm -hmm. you might think of it as what maybe I thought, you know, I was being plagued with, which was this crazy case of insomnia. Mm -hmm. It really became my outlet. And um, Mm -hmm. I just started, I guess you would say I started going with it and just thought, okay, I'm up and, Mm -hmm. uh, and just sort of, you know, saying, okay, what do we got? Let's go. What are we, what are we thinking about? And I actually sometimes would wake up and have a melody already sort of, you know, on my, on my mind. Mm-hmm. 
So tell me about Dark Horse. So where did the the title, like what, how did you come to that title? Oh, so the title actually came later. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually call the record Dark Horse until we were finished. Mm. And it and it really was an interesting question that we talked about a lot. Like, okay, what is this? Like, wh- what is this collection of songs? And it really hit me on the head one day that the record would be called Dark Horse for, for a number of reasons. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons being that my dad would tell me sometimes or he'd like to, you know, educate me and tell me the meaning of different thoughts. And he asked me one day, hey, Laura, you, do you know what a dark horse is? And it's really the underdog or it's, yeah. that, or it's that thing that maybe you didn't expect that actually propelled you. And mm-hmm. so, so really in short, dark horse is really the concept of this compilation of music that you know, really came out during a dark time, I think, for everyone. Mm. Um, and the other th- thing that I think that's really, really important is that, I mean, and now we're going down a deep road, is that, you know, I had a dream a couple of years ago where this dark horse appeared in my dream. Mm. And, um, you know, it's a long dream and I won't get into it this episode, um, yeah. maybe another, but the dark horse was there. And so it just all made sense in the end that mm-hmm. this project was bigger than me. It was bigger than, mm. than really what we intended it to be. We just started out talking about some songs I was writing. And then here we had it, nine songs that were telling a truthful story and that mm. ended up being my dark horse. Mm. I just got chills. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. No, I just, I love that. Cause as you were saying, as you were saying, you know, dark horse, that's the first thing I thought of. It's just really it, underdog. I don't know why that came to me, but it just, it, it felt like that. Um, and I, I'm always rooting for the underdog. I'm like a cheerleader always for the underdog. So it's, that's yeah. really cool. Uh, everyone loves a good underdog story. I mean, that's why Rocky is mm-hmm. one of the most enduring mm-hmm. stories and movies you're ever likely to come across. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of sports movies and other movies have been inspired by that and follow that same pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny when you're, when you're talking about uh, the underdog glory, because we, we just interviewed Dave Gutter for a previous episode not that long ago. It'll have been live at that at the point that this one goes live. But he had talked about himself, mm. considering himself as an underdog and thinking back about other artists, other filmmakers, uh, mm. musicians. It always mm-hmm. seems like there is this kind of underdog feeling mm, to a yeah. lot of them, mm-hmm. like they, mm-hmm. where they either feel that way or they almost put themselves into they kind of paint themselves into a corner or put themselves into a corner and then kind of make themselves fight their way out. Mm-hmm. That is what it feels like. I appreciate that so much. That's such a great description, you know, and, and that also just takes you, you know, kind of down the road of writing. And sometimes you need to be in those places in order yeah. to be as honest as you can be. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Mm, yeah, because when you're when you're in that corner, that really is all you have left is yourself and the truth and mm-hmm. and what kind of skills you have. That vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And if you think about, I mean, I th- and and I think that just hearing that will resonate with so many people because when you think about 2020 mm-hmm. and where we were and so many so many people just spending time in their own corners mm-hmm. and um and it really makes you sit with your stuff. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, what are you going to do? You sit in your stuff and you, you can't get up and get busy and you can't travel and you can't, you know, do all these different things. So you're really forced to sit there and think about it. Mm. And um, 
And so if you think about that whole time, we're, we, are, we were all in the same boat. Yeah. We were all sitting in the same corner as underdogs. Mm-hmm. And so um, yeah. I think, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing Dave's work because I think that a lot of us are feeling the same thing at the same time. And I think that is like such a God thing, you know, that, so cool. that we were there all in the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. so cool. So from a from a technical and a mindset standpoint, even though you've kind of spoken a little bit about that, how is the recording process for Dark Horse different than other albums that you've done? So different. So, so, so very different. For one, you know, when we talk about just the whole idea of, you know, putting a bunch of songs together and not really knowing what's happening with them. I didn't think I was making a record. I wasn't set out to make a record. You know, I wasn't sitting up mm-hmm. at three in the morning thinking, oh, I'm writing a song because... I should go make a record. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I was just putting them together. And then I was really feeling quite a bit of a calling that this was a story and that, that it was a story that I would want to tell. So the first steps really is, you know, my friend Maimon Ernst, she, you know, she's good friends with Darren Elder at Halo. And, you know, I've known of Darren, he's known of me and um, he's a well-regarded producer. And so Mm -hmm. we decided, you know, let's just get together and talk about it. That's really Mm -hmm. the first step. So let's just, you know, sit together, let's talk about what's happening and what this is. And, you know, in all honesty, we did that for a bit. Mm -hmm. We, we, we sat together, we talked about what these songs are, how they were coming to me, what they were saying Mm -hmm. and where I was at and what this was. And this went on for a bit until the point where, you know, I can rem- I can actually remember the day we were talking about it. And then at the end of the meeting, I was just so happy. I think we were all happy because we were making a record. This was mm. a re- this was a re- this was a record. This was a that's awesome. This was full blown happening. And and for, you know, from there on out, I would say the the difference in the process is that it was just so slow. And I tend to be a very impatient person. And I, you know, for me, like I want to get going and I want to do mm-hmm. things. This process of working, you know, with a couple producers that I trusted and they were valuing what I was saying and and the message, it really forced me to go back and work on the songs. And, and, and some of them, I, I, I changed tempos. I changed things that I, you know, the ways that I was saying them. And I was really pushed like to a new level. Mm. It was so good for me. It was That's great. so good, so rewarding. And, you know, the, these production meetings went on for a long time. I mean, I know now how important that is. It's so mm-hmm. important to have patience. And yeah. so, you know, I was learning patience. I was learning Mm -hmm. trust, Mm -hmm. trust, to trust two other people with my material and my vision. And so, you know, the, the short story of that is after literally months of talking Mm -hmm. and, and, and really breaking down what this was, Darren and Kevin Billingsley went to the studio. You know, you have to remember we're working during a pandemic. We're going to try to make a record during a pandemic. So there was a Mm -hmm. lot of trust involved and Mm -hmm. they took my vision and they put that to music. And, you know, a few months later, I went in, did my vocals and sang those down. I mean, it, 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 honestly, when I say to you, it has just been an incredible experience to see what these songs began as and, and how they ended up. And then, That's yeah, cool. the next thing you know, you've given birth to a whole, a whole record. It's crazy. And so, you know, it's almost like what I could describe to you guys is, you know, the snowball effect, how they say you have a little snowball, you roll it down over the hill mm-hmm. and it gets bigger yeah. and bigger. That's what making a record's like. It's like, okay, I have some songs and mm-hmm. now we're making a record. 
That's so wow, cool. we're full blown into it. And then then we have something that we believe in. Like, wow, yeah. we really think we have something here and have something to say. And so, I mean, you both know as well as I do, there's a whole business side of the music business as well, mm-hmm. which isn't mm-hmm. as fun as all those other things I was talking about. And so now here we are, we're like, the, the record is out. And, so um, and there's, there, there's just so much behind that. And I appreciate you asking these questions because they're such good questions. So I have to, I have this question and, and wanting to ask this. So it's, it's, it literally is like, you've just given birth to this thing, right? So do you have a specific song? I know they're all, they're all your children. They're all your children and you, you're supposed to love them all the same, yeah. right? Yeah. But is there one that might be a little more of a favorite child? Yeah, because those children all have their own characteristics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's one song in particular that sticks out to me and it may be one of my favorite children because of the way that it was downloaded. Mm-hmm. And it's a song called Good Man. Mm. And it's the fourth the fourth track on the on the CD and I'll give you the reasons for that. One of the reasons is the way that the song dropped was I didn't do that. You know, I woke up early one morning and I came downstairs and literally I wrote the song in like two minutes. You know, I didn't, I didn't do that. It just, it was downloaded and given to me. And the song Mm -hmm. is, uh, it really is the pivotal turning point in the record Mm -hmm. where it takes you, let's say from, I don't know, the sweet spot till to the um, more antagonist place. Mm -hmm. So it's the the pivotal turning point. And it's just, it was, it was quick. It was sweet. It was automatic. And Mm. it's probably my favorite song because of the simplicity, however, with such impact. Mm. And you really have to listen to that to probably understand. But, um, but I, you know, I have a lot of special songs on there, but Good Man is very special. I can't wait. So, uh, how did your musical journey start? How did how did you pick up the guitar? How did you start singing? Mm. How did that whole thing work for you? Honestly, how it all started was with a hairbrush in my hand, and I think <laughs> for real. So it's like with a, with a guitar in my hand. Look, I wish it was cooler than that. Like I wish it was cooler than a hairbrush. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, no, the memory is my family putting me on the coffee table with a hairbrush and like sing and go for it. And I would entertain my family. Um, my brothers and sisters will tell me how like I could stand up in the middle of the dinner table and sing twinkle, twinkle little star. And, you know, <laughs> they would get in trouble for not asking to be excused. Um, but I could do whatever I wanted. So it really started there getting more into like the seriousness of the business part of it. When I was, I want to say 12, you know, I could sing and my grandmother used to take me, you know, to be on shows and things. And when I was 12, I spent the summer actually touring with a country band when I was 12. Oh, wow. Throughout Canada. I know. I know. And singing like Anne Murray songs and Everly Brothers. And we were having a blast. And so, yeah, that was at 12. So I, that was pretty exciting when I think back now. And then, um, then it, you know, turned into being in high school and playing with a rock band. And I remember Mm -hmm. I grew up down East. And so I had a band Mm -hmm. when I was in high school and I played with them for about four or five years. I mean, it was, 
It was good. I mean, and, and that's when I really started writing because, you know, I was playing songs that sometimes I felt like, oh, I want to I want to play my own songs. I'm getting sick of playing these covers. And so, mm. um, so yeah, I guess really the short answer, you guys, is, you know, I don't really know a time when I wasn't in some way in this. Yeah. It's just been there from kind of the beginning, you feel like. Yeah. I know so cool. music's been just so, so important. Yeah, at the age of 12, that must have made for one killer. Like, what did you do this past summer? I know. Like, you must have just, like, wiped a floor with everybody. Mm-hmm, yeah, you know, I, at the time, I think I was pretty quiet about it. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know if I didn't think it was cool. But, yeah, that's what I was doing. And it was televised, too, sometimes, you know. Oh and so, gosh. yeah, it was crazy, really. I mean, when, you, when I'm thinking back now, and so I see pictures sometimes of me, like, in my fringe jeans and my fringe, like, jacket. <laughs> I thought it was so cool. And, you know, looking back now, it's, you know, it's pretty incredible. And I want to add something to that is um, my really, really good friend, Walter Howland, who's been playing bass with me for decades. He also was on that country tour with his family. Oh, and my gosh. I know. We both were like little kids, kid <laughs> stars. That's craziness. Oh, wow. That's so cool. So what musicians, you know, singers, writers and artists have, have really had the most influence on you? There's so many. There's so many. So it it changes for me a lot because Mm -hmm. I listen to such a, I just really listen to such a variety of music. Mm -hmm. It's so diverse. But I mean, of course, when I think back to just the classic rock, you know, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, of course, Mm -hmm. Um, as far as the writing goes, you know, I'm a big, big fan of Suzanne Vega. I love her writing, Tori Amos. You know, I would say over the the last summer, when I started writing this record, I was listening to a lot of 70s, even soft pop at the time. I was listening to um, America. I was listening to Crosby, Stills and Nash, Neil Young. Mm -hmm. We could actually just, this whole show, I could just tell you every musician I like, you know, I mean, because there's so many. I mean, I love everyone. You could, I mean, seriously in my house every literally everything is playing um Mm -hmm. i think for this record you know some of the reviews we're getting back you know cheryl crow lucinda williams tom petty you know some really heavy hitters that i am just like super 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 stoked to even be compared to Mm -hmm. yeah i can i can hear a little bit of of several different influences uh, in in the songs that I've listened to. And it is kind of funny because I'm like, okay, yeah, there's a little Tom Petty there. Oh, yeah, there's a little of this, there's a little of that. And, you know, and it's it's so great that when you're when you're listening to somebody to be able to play that little game, I think. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and to, yeah. And to kind of be like, okay, let me see if I can trace back this person's uh, musical family tree. Mm-hmm. I love that. Todd, I think that's a great idea for even a podcast show. Oh, yes. You, you, oh, actually, you know what? Maybe I'm going to write that one down. There you go. I, I actually just really, I, I, you don't even know like how much I appreciate that observation because that might be the first time someone's ever said that to me. But I really love the observation that you listen and you can, you can almost pick out the influences yourself or just say, okay, mm-hmm. where are this going? Because Todd, I think you could appreciate this because I know that you're a musician and that is that sometimes we almost subconsciously, is that the word I'm looking for? But we're not even aware that we're yeah. channeling that, you know, influence. And then yet looking back, you will listen to it and go, oh, yeah, huh. now, right. I, now I get that. Yeah. And it is, I think it's sometimes it takes an outside perspective, whether you're whether you're talking about music, mm-hmm. even if you're talking about business, someone's saying, oh, your business reminds me of or your way of doing this reminds me of. And you think mm-hmm. about it, you're like, 
gee, I didn't know I'd, I might have outright stolen that idea. It's so <laughs> really, true. Really oh my I don't gosh. get in trouble for that. I know. It's so true, though. It's like, oh, you know, it's. I have to tell you this, though, because you would probably find this interesting. Sometimes when I'm writing and like if a melody drops, I have to actually sort of think it over for a while and think, now, is that my song or did I just rip that off from somebody? I'm not sure. Yeah. So, and I've. I've, I've heard a story of, of that happening to Billy Joel. So, I mean, there's there's no shame in that. He was he was playing, I think it was, I want to say it was uh, it was Anthony's song. And okay. he was playing the original track for that. And Liberty DeVito, his drummer, turned to him and he's like, that's Neil Sedanka. Oh. And he's like, oh my God, it is. I've got to change that immediately now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just like, wholesale ripped off the melody and then had to change it. Wow. So you're you're in good company. Yeah, you need backup sometimes. You need backup, but you need to play that stuff out and somebody say, mm, nope, that's not your song. Nice try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which can be good because at least, you know, if you're going to steal, you know, steal from the best. Oh, uh, absolutely. I agree. So mm-hmm. what what is your songwriting process like? Is there Do you have a specific process that happens kind of you follow all the time or is it individual to the song? Hmm. Well, at one point I probably would have told you, it usually starts with guitar in hand. You know, typically would start with me strumming and coming up with different chord progressions and then humming out a melody. Mm-hmm. That would have been a way that I had written this dark horse. It was totally different. I was hearing melodies before I sat down. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And I would find myself recording into my phone melodies. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I'll hear a melody and I'll just hum it out into mm-hmm. the phone at that time, because I mean, you have to capture it because you're going to forget it. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to forget it. And then I'm going to hate myself. So, and then I revisit it and say, what was that? And so this last time it was more channeling. Mm -hmm. uh, We call it downloading. We can call it that downloading different lines. I mean, sometimes it was lines and, you know, when I tell you, I woke up in the night one night and literally Mm -hmm. I was hearing the wicked witch is dead. I'm sorry, I'm still, still dead. That's it. And it was oh, just cool. like kept going and going and going. And I was wow. like, okay, I guess we're going to go write this thing. So that was one way that it happened. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting because then that got added into like an already sort of song that was in process. So, you know, I wish I had a rhyme or reason or there's mm-hmm. no method. It's just what I think is being able to stop mm-hmm. and acknowledge this is happening and mm-hmm. I want to receive this mm-hmm. because this is important. And, you know, when I go back to talk about we were probably too busy before. I was probably too busy before to mm-hmm. tap into that. And what a shame. Mm-hmm. And this pandemic really forced me to be able to just tap into that in a new way. So Todd, that probably didn't even answer so your cool. question. No, that's, no, it that's did. Totally did. The more I've I've learned about songwriting and kind of just writing in general, it seems that well, actually I think more songwriting than than normal writing. But for songwriting, the the most prolific songwriters seem to have multiple tools in the toolbox, and one of them is like that butterfly net where they're just you got to grab that and the thing starts running away from you, flying away, and you've got to go and, mm-hmm. and catch it because, like you say, if you don't get it. It's going away. I did that. I did that when I was writing questions for this podcast. Mm. When we were writing down our questions, I was typing things out. I'm like, 
wait a minute, what was that question? It was good. Wait, nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And I it's freaked so out true. for about five minutes walking around my office going, I'm, that was a good question. Yeah. What? And I, I finally managed to, it came back to me, but I was like, I was having a minor panic attack. I'm like, I hope that wasn't like the question that's going to make the interview. Yeah. I think it's, it sounds like you were just in this place of being quiet, being quiet and listening. Yeah. And that, in that the pandemic really forced a lot of people to sit in that quietness. Yeah. Because then you could hear those things that are trying yeah. to escape and you actually have a few moments of quiet to try and chase them down. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and the other thing, and I love that, like what, what you just said, the other thing is that when it gets quiet and it's quiet enough, you're going to hear mm. maybe things that were there before that you just mm-hmm. weren't willing to hear. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So how, how does living in Maine affect your music and how do you balance music with career? I think that living in Maine is a benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, I've had these conversations lately with other people that are in the music business that, that don't live in Maine. Mm-hmm. I think it has its benefits in lots of ways. For one, it's beautiful here. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I feel so fortunate. I get to, you know, go take a walk on the beach. You know, mm-hmm. and I can really clear my head. And and sometimes I have to go to walk the beach even just to come up with maybe a press release I need to write. You know, mm-hmm. I need to come up with copy. I need to, to clear my head, like social media content. And I can go to the beach and and the, and I can get ideas just walking. And um, mm-hmm. the other thing is, I think the benefits of living in Maine as a working musician, or you know, in this case, writing, and is that we're in a smaller pool. I feel like we play nice in the sandbox here. <laughs> I yeah. do. I, I, I feel that. I feel like we're yeah. all willing to help each other and mm. that we want to see each other succeed. And I just think yeah. that we may not have that if we were, even myself, if I was living perhaps in a city where, you know, everyone's out to do the same thing. And yeah. although I think I would appreciate that, I like the idea that we can just be good old Mainers too, you know? Mm, Yeah. And, you know, as a business person, I think it has its benefits too, because, you know, it's not such a crowded pool, Mm -hmm. Mm. you know? And, and, you know, and, and the other thing I think I've learned about this too, I mean, you know, I've been doing this for a long time is that I didn't set out to do this or I don't do this because I think that some miraculous thing's going to happen on a business standpoint, or, you know, like I'm going to, you know, I, you know, whatever that is, whatever people aspire to, I just think that, you know, I put out this record and I'm pushing it and I'm going to work it just as hard as I can, because I really believe in these nine songs Mm, and where they came from. And, and so, and that's the difference too, because, you know, I own my own business. I run my own show and Mm -hmm. I don't have, you know, a bunch of fiscal agents knocking on my door, Mm -hmm. calling me and saying, Hey, where's this? Where's that? You know, I do this Mm -hmm. on my own my own time frame, my own business plan. And so owning this thing and living right here, like in beautiful Maine, it's just, it, you know, it couldn't get any better. I don't think. Yeah. That's awesome. Agreed. Yeah. So one of the questions we uh, kind of standard like to ask, how do you define success? Hmm. I think how, really how I define success, you know, that goalpost keeps moving. Mm-hmm. And if you would ask me that question, probably back in the winter, I would say my definition of success is that I finished these songs and we're tracking them and Mm. that, or that we're making a record success Mm. then is that 
we finished it and we were true to it and it's honest and I can stand by every note that I sang, every word that I said, I stand by every single thing mm-hmm. and that's successful. And now when I think about the record overall and what we're trying to do, success will be for me that people will hear this music and that somehow, some way it will resonate with them mm-hmm. and they will see themselves. They will see themselves in, in these words. Mm, I love that. So we are professed, is that the right word I want? Sure, go with it. Inspiration junkies. And so we we love to know what inspires people. So who or what inspires you? I like inspiration junkies. I like that Mm. a lot. I want to just like (laughs) hashtag that all day. (laughs) We're all going to hashtag this. Who or what inspires me? Real life, overcomers, Mm. badass women. Mm Mm-hmm inspire me, inspire the heck out of me. A good, Hell com- yeah. yep. A good comeback story. Like Todd said before, um, I love a good comeback story that inspires me. Truth telling mm-hmm. people being honest, raw, being able to mm-hmm. not really care, but mm-hmm. understand that the story is important and willing to be brave and tell the story that mm-hmm. inspires me and being bold, mm-hmm. Bo- bold people that are truthful, inspire me. I love that. Mm. Yeah. That's that's a lot packed right into that one. It is. Hashtag inspired by. Yes. yes. Well, thank you, Lori, for taking time yes. today, for sharing your story with us. And we, we so appreciate your time. And we also want to encourage everybody to go and to download or to purchase Dark Horse. I will have links for all of the download and streaming options and where it will be available uh, for physical copies as well. And uh, also be sure to check out Lori's upcoming shows that are coming up and go and see her. And uh, thank you again so much for, for being yes, with us. Yes, thank really you so it. much. This is so exciting. Thank you. I had a blast. Can't we just keep going? No. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, no, seriously, I had a blast. I, I'm so grateful that you invited me. Just, just had a great time. Thank you so much. We're, oh. We wish you all the success with this and um, that, you know, it changes many lives. Thank you. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Gorham Savings Bank, and encourage you to check them out through the link in the show notes. And thank you again for listening. Thank you.